Before this podcast starts, we have a couple things we would like to let you know about. First, we have some big plans for the future. We are so excited for where this podcast is going, but we really need some help. We both have full-time jobs along with church and family. And here are some ways that you can help. Share our posts, subscribe, and leave a review. Also, we would like to buy better equipment, and we also have some plans for the future that are going to need funding. You can either become a monthly or a one-time listener supporter. The link is in the show notes. Or you can buy us a coffee. Go to buymeacoffee.com slash breaking taboo, or you can click the link in the show notes. Next thing is, me and my husband are going on AIM to Japan. You can support us one of three ways. Text to give. You can text AIM206 to 71777. Or you can buy a t-shirt or hoodie from our shop on Bonfire called Seek and Save Apparel. Or you can become a partner in missions. To find more information on anything, please visit our Instagram page, Romans to Japan or Breaking Apostolic Taboo. Thank you for joining and we are so excited for this week's episode. Get out of your head. Let's stop the spiral of toxic thoughts and study the book of Philippians to try to change our thought patterns. We hope that on Breaking Apostolic Taboo that this study helps enlighten you and helps you grow in your relationship with God. Please enjoy this week's study. Welcome back, everyone, and hopefully y'all are having a good Christmas. Um, I know this is a little early, but, uh, you know, Christmas is going to be here any day now. So, hope you have a really good Christmas. And let's get started on Weapons We Use Part 2, Session 4. About a year ago, I noticed I was not very joyful. I was heavy all the time, and there were a lot of reasons for it. I changed around a dozen things in my life, but one of the simplest changes I made was to remove all negative social media from my phone. Our inputs matter. We are largely a product of our inputs. A few of my regular subtitle input or subtle inputs were full of grumbling and arguments. It was turning me into a a cynical complainer rather than a humble servant. I was concerned more about news stories than souls. I was distracted by loud, brash commentators on a passing issue rather than sensitive to quiet, faithful word changers in the trenches of the real-life church. The shift for me was small, but it transformed my mind to walk away from the things of this world and toward the quieter narrative God was unfolding around me. My input shifted and so did my thoughts. I found myself praying more because I was thinking more about Jesus and his people. Hope wasn't hard to drum up when I was constantly serving or serving and with people who were sacrificially building the church. People like Pastor Andrew from uh, Rwanda who is in the States learning his Bible at seminary. He is away from his wife and children for years, all because he knows the pastors in this country need better theological training. 
Last night, Zach and I hopped in the car and ran past her Andrew a warmer coat and some chili because it was cold in Dallas in mid-October. And being around him with his huge smile and heart, even though he is alone in a little dorm room in a cold new city, my mind was renewed that God is at work across this planet. Why did this feel so good? Because we weren't made to always be consuming entertainment, arguments, distractions, material goods. Pick your poison. But what if in those moments we reached out to people, real live people in our lives, instead of driving deeper into the spirals in our own heads? We were, in fact, made for this. Made for connecting, made for service, made for greatness. This world is so in love with grumbling and complaining, it cannot hold a candle to the joy these things bring. So this week, we're going to explore these gifts God gave us, and we'll find out that they're actually weapons too. I hope you're getting comfortable with Philippians 2 and are starting to realize how surprising things like humility, silence, and delight act as powerful weapons. We're going to park it here for another week because it brings out three more ways to fight, and they're all about busting out of our comfort zones. Our enemy seeks to suck away our power with things like isolation, dissatisfaction, and complacency. We get nice and comfy, our world spinning around ourselves. When we wake up and reach out, we find that God has a much bigger work and mutt than we could dream of, and we get to be a part of it. In these weeks together, we will study the scripture and examine how we can use the following weapons to fight the enemy of our mind. This week, let's look at connection, intentionality, and gratefulness as choices we can make to stop our spiraling thoughts. This week, we're doing isolation, complacency, and victimhood, turning into connection, intentionality, and gratefulness. This week, let's zoom into the latter part of Philippians 2. We're going to start at 4 through 16. And while I'm reading this, describe the outcomes of eliminating grumbling and complaining from our lives. Do all things without murmuring and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harm, harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Verses 16 through 18. While I'm reading this, describe Paul's view of the sacrificial nature of his life and why is that worth it to him in verse 16 through 18. Holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. What did he want the Philippians to do in his suffering for the gospel? Paul describes two more important friendships in the last part of chapter 2. He did not live isolated. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy 
Timotheus, shortly unto you, that I also may be a good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. But ye know the proof of him, that as a son with the Father he hath served with me in the gospel. Him therefore I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall see how it will be, or how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Describe what Timothy's friendships meant to Paul in verses 19 through 24. Yet I suppose it necessary to send to you um, Aphroditus, my brother and companion and laborer and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministers to my wants. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore the more carefully, that when ye see him again, ye may rejoice with all gladness, and hold such in reputation. Oh, I skipped. Uh, that ye may rejoice, and that I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation, because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me. Looking at verse 25 through 30, describe Paul's relationship with Aphroditus. Why did he value him? What did he hope his life connected to the Philippians' lives would accomplish? shine like lights. Paul says one of the clearest uh, results of truly believing and embodying the gospel is that this is this which you'll remember from last week. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault and in a warped and crooked generation then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life philippians 2 14 through 16 the generation living crooked and deprived we have that part down but the church being blameless and pure and doing everything without grumbling and arguing dang we have some work to do We talk a little about how grumbling and anger and arguing are some of the many enemies to our lives being a true reflection of Christ. If we are not surrendered to the will of God and our worship is misplaced, then we will never live the mission God built for us. I see this in myself and in others and in a few forms. Discontentment. Focused energy on dissatisfactions with our circumstances or possessions or life stage. Left unresolved, this becomes a complaining spirit without joy or gratitude. Disillusionment, disappointment with the things of God and the people of God. Left unresolved, it turns to bitterness and eventually cynicism and distrust of people and God. Discouragement, doubt, fear, and criticism can come against us to the point of shutting us down. Disagreement, 
our own insecurities or disappointment and others cause us to pull back and isolate in order to protect ourselves. Do you see any of these in your spirit right now? These can each turn into deeply sp- into deadly spirals. As much as we'd like to, we can't curl up on our couches, read the pages of a book, pray, and simply will our minds to change. God is concerned not only with the posture of our hearts, but also with the people on each of our arms. In terms of fulfilling our mission in this life, we can't do anything worthwhile alone. We were built to be seen and loved. The weapon of connection. The Apostle Paul beautifully described this way of living below. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit any affection and sympathy complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love being in full accord and and of one mind philippians 2 1 through 2 in the esv it's a lot of togetherness right god purposely places us in community so they can help us in in the battle for our thought lives when our mind maps are chaotic Our thoughts are spiraling and our emotions are running the show. So often our escape plan involves simply reaching out, just whispering that little word help. We find ourselves in a generation that has made an idol out of everything God is calling us away from. Independence, but often we back away from others. It's because we're listening to the lies about our worth. We're convinced we're not worthy, worth knowing. We're convinced if we were known, we would be rejected. We want to be alone with our shame, not to bother other people with our bummer problems. But that's just a spiral that leads us to ultimate loneliness. Here's how the connection busts that spiral. We start with emotion, which is shame. Our thought is, I can solve my own problems, which leads to our behavior, which we build walls. Our relationships become isolated, and our consequence is loneliness. But if we turn it around, we have our emotion, which is shame. And I choose to be known. So our thought becomes, God made me to live known and loved. Our behavior becomes building bridges. Our relationships become connected, and we become known. That's our consequence. We weren't meant to be alone in the dark. Being known turns on the light and that scares the devil. He doesn't want us to, to or he doesn't want us in the light because we stay in the dark with him. He can tell us whatever he wants. No more. Use the weapon of connection and fight with light. The weapon of intentionality. We desperately want to be set free from the chaos of our minds, but set free to do what? Our culture's idea about freedom is often that we are set free to do whatever we want. The irony is that when we go through seasons of doing whatever we want, those turn out to be our least content, our, our least content sessions. It all comes back to the same idea. We were not built to live for ourselves. I think of what Paul says about the Philippians. Everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. And it reminds me of the 18 months of doubt that held me captive. In that time, I just felt like doing whatever I wanted. Complacency overtook my natural, zealous spirit without a bent toward service. 
I bent toward too much Netflix, too much social media, too much sugar, too much grief, click, scroll, binge, cry, rinse, and then repeat. I had no desire to go to the grocery store, let alone go to the nations with God's message of grace. You and I were made to be part of an eternal story centered on the unyielding purpose of our service to an unmatched God. We are meant to live intentionally rather than floating along trying to be comfy. Complacency is finding comfort in mediocrity and accepting things as they are, clinging to the status quo. It's numbing and zoning out. The question driving our thought patterns are no longer, how will God use me today and how can I give Jesus to someone? Instead, we're focused on the things like, what will make me feel better? What will make me look better? And how can I feel okay and content? The Apostle Paul gives us the weapon of truth that frees us from the velvet-covered chains of complacency. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or or vain consent. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the other. Philippians 2, 3 through 4 in the NIV. Intentionally, intentionality is our weapon against complacency. We are meant to find joy in the work of God for others. So our emotion is stress. Our thoughts turn into, I can do whatever I want. Our behavior becomes pursuing self-indulgement and comforts. Our relationships are just self-serving. So the consequence we get is boredom. If we flip that and we're stressed out and we choose to seek the good of others over my own comfort, the thoughts turn into God has set me free to seek the good of others over my own comfort and our behaviors pursue the good of others Our relationships are giving and loving, and our consequence is effective. You know what our souls are saying to us? They're saying, comfy just ain't cutting it for me. There's a greater plan for service in our lives, and this is it. The way we fix our eyes on Jesus is to run the race set before us. We interrupt the spiral of self and the pattern of complacency when we serve intentionally. The weapon of gratefulness. The enemy offers us in a lineup of options that seem to comfort us, but ultimately come up empty. One of those is the victim of uh, the victim mentality. I know it's not comfortable to talk about, especially since. There is so much injustice in the world, and there are real victims who experience real suffering. We have to be about the business of righting these wrongs. Scripture implores us, learn to do good, seek justice, correct correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause, Isaiah 117. I'm talking more about here, or I'm talking more here about spending so much time licking our wounds that we don't allow them to heal. We have to go from victims to survivors and ultimately pulls us out of ourselves and connects us with each other. We have a choice. We can center our thoughts on the certainty that no matter what has happened to us, no matter what comes, we are upheld securely by God's righteous right hand. And that will shift our minds toward gratitude. 
We can choose gratefulness over victim mentality because we are not victims of our circumstances. We are survivors and held by God. Paul certainly made this choice as evidenced by the fact that he was quick to express gratitude for the believers at Philippi despite the mind-boggling pain he'd endured. If anyone knew suffering, it was Paul. In the book of Acts alone, read that Paul experienced confrontation, the betrayal of friends, accusations, uh, scourging, whippings, beatings, stonings, imprisonment, robberies, and on multiple occasions being left for dead. Had any one of these things happened in the course of my lifetime, I'd center my whole world around the event. I'd tell everyone how bad it had been and what has been dubbed over or what has been dubbed our victimhood culture, Paul certainly would have stood out. I'm telling you, there is a far better way, the way of gratitude. We start with self-pity, and the thoughts become, I am a victim to my circumstances. Our behavior is we're complaining all the time. Our relationships become places of blame, and the consequence of it is constantly being unhappy we flip it and we're in self-pity and we choose to be grateful no matter what life brings us our thoughts become my circumstances are an opportunity to experience God and our behavior is giving thanks our relationships become very forgiving and we become joyful God made sure to include a clear call to thankfulness in scripture God knows that only when we're planted in the soil of gratitude we will learn and grow and thrive who are you, Lord, and what do you want for me? Read Hebrews 3, 12 through 14 in light of what you just read and answer the above question. Let me get my Bible. I lost my, oh my word, I have lost my tab. Give me one moment while I pull up Hebrews Hebrews 3, 12 through 14. All right. That is 4, not 12. All right. So remember the question. It's who are you, Lord, and what do you want from me? And I'm reading Hebrews 3, 12 through 14. Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you, any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. And then, if you, um, if you want to do the projects, if you're studying along with me, you can get the book at Hobby Lobby or on Amazon, and you can do the projects on your own time. To the conclusion, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 ESV. To see God's good purposes, we have to focus our gaze beyond our immediate situations. We have to remember that even now, 
we have a choice. We can choose to praise and honor God right where we are, trusting that we serve a God who is both transcendent and intimate, or an eminent, fancy words for saying that he, his way are, be, are beyond human understanding. Yet he chooses to be near us, to be with us, even in the hardest times when we cannot yet see how he could possibly bring anything good for, from our circumstances. But as we build a grateful heart, we find purpose behind the pain. We see that God's purposes are only being a beginning and we're freed from the spiral of victimhood. We don't have to defy ourselves by others' wrongdoing. We choose to take our power and our joy. And so we'll see you next week when we start session five, a new way to live. So I hope you all have a good week. Have a good Christmas and I will see you all next week.